Book One, Chapter Two of the Four Stragglers by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An Iron in the Fire. It was a neighborhood of alleyways and lanes of ferocious darkness, of ill-lighted, baleful streets, of shadows, of doorways where no doors existed, black, cavernous, and sinister openings to inner chambers of misery, of squalid want, of God knows what. It was the following evening, and still early, barely eight o'clock. Captain Francis Newcomb turned the corner of one of these gloomily lighted streets, and drew instantly back to crouch, as an animal crouches before its springs, in the deep shadows of a wretched tenement building. Light footfalls sounded, came nearer. Two forms, skulking, yet moving swiftly, came into sight around the corner. Captain Francis Newcomb sprang. His fist crashed with terrific force to the point of an opposing jaw. A queer grunt, and one of the two men sprawled his length on the pavement and lay quite still. Captain Francis Newcomb's movements were incredibly swift. His left hand was at the second man's throat now, and a revolver was shoved into the other's face. The tableau held for a second. "'A bit of a Cushing expedition, was it?' said the ex-captain of the Territorials calmly. "'I looked a likely victim, didn't I?' just the usual bash on the head with a neddy, and then the usual stripping, even down to the boots, if they were good enough, and mine were good enough, eh? And I might get over that bash on the head, or my skull might be cracked, I might wake up in one of your filthy passageways here, or I might never wake up. What would it matter? It's done every night. You make your living that way. And who's to know who did it? His grip tightened suddenly on the other's throat. "'Your kind are better dead,' said Captain Francis Newcomb, and there was something of horrible callousness in his conversational tones. "'You lack art. You have no single redeeming feature.' It was as though now he were debating in cold precision with himself. "'Yes, you are much better dead.' "'Gore blimey, governor! Let me go!' half choked, half whined the other. "'We wasn't going to touch you. No fear. Me and me mate was just going round to the pub for an arf-pint.' "'It would make a noise,' said Captain Francis Newcomb, unemotionally. "'That is the trouble. I should have to clear out of here, and be put to the annoyance of waiting a half-hour or so, before I could come back and attend to my own affairs. That's the only reason I haven't fired this thing off in your face, and I'm not sure that reason's good enough.' but it's a bit of a fag to argue it out, so don't move, you swine, or that'll settle it quicker still. His fingers from the other's throat searched his own waistcoat pocket, and produced a silver coin. Heads or tails? he inquired casually. You call it. My God, Governor, whimpered the man. You don't mean that. You wouldn't shoot a cove down like that, would you? My God, you wouldn't do that. Heads or tails? The ex-captain of Territorial's voice was bored. I shan't ask you again. The light was poor. The man's features, save that they were dirty and unshaven, were almost indistinguishable. But the eyes roved everywhere in hunted fear, and he lumped the fingers of one hand together and plucked with them in an unhinged way at his lips. I know, gurgled the man. My 
my god his words were thick his fingers plucking clogged his lips i can't i the mechanism of the revolver intruded itself as unemotional as its owner an unemotional click the man screamed out no no wait governor wait he screamed eds god eds captain francis newcomb examined the coin the sense of touch as he rubbed his fingers over it helped out the bad light right you are he said indifferently heads it is you're in luck he tossed the coin on the pavement i'd keep that if i were you his voice was still level still bored you haven't got anything of course to do any sniping with for anything as valuable as that would never remain in the possession of your kind for more than five minutes before you would have pawned it he glanced at the prostrate form of the thug's companion who was now beginning to show signs of returning consciousness i fancy you'll find his jaws broken better give him a leg up he said and turning on his heel walked on down the street captain francis newcomb did not look back he traversed the murky block turned a corner turned still another and presently made his way through an entrance long since doorless into the hallway of a tenement house it was little better than a pit of blackness here but his movements were without hesitation as one long and intimately familiar with his surroundings he mounted a rickety flight of stairs and without ceremony opened the door of a room on the first landing entered and closed the door behind him the room had no light in it who's there demanded a weak querulous female voice the visitor made no immediate reply the place reeked with the odor of salt fish the air was stale and an offence that assaulted the nostrils captain francis newcomb crossed to the window wrenched at it and flung it viciously open a protracted fit of coughing came from a corner behind him didn't i tell you never to send for me he snapped out in abrupt menace oh it's you is it said the woman's voice well i ain't never done it afore have i and in three years i ain't you've done it now you've done it to-night and that's once too often returned captain francis newcomb savagely and before i'm through with you i'll promise you you'll never do it again no she answered out of the darkness i won't never do it again and that's why i done it to-night cause i won't never have another chance the doctor he says i ain't going to be here in the morning captain francis newcomb lit a match it disclosed a tallow tip and a piece of salt fish on a battered chair and beyond the shadowy outline of a bed he swept the piece of fish to the floor out of his way lighted the candle and leaning forward held it over the bed a woman's face stared back at him in the flickering light a curiously blotched face and one that was emaciated until the cheekbones seemed the dominant feature her dull almost glazed grey eyes blinked painfully in even the candle rays a dirty woollen wrap was fastened loosely around a scrawny neck and over this there straggled strands of tangled and unkempt grey hair well i fancy the diagnosis isn't far wrong said the ex-captain of territorials critically i've been too good to you and prosperity's let you down 
For three years you haven't lifted a finger except to carry a glass of gin to your lips. And now this is the end, is it? The woman did not answer. She breathed heavily. The hectic spots on her cheeks burned a little wider. Captain Francis Newcomb set the candle back on the chair, and with his hands in his pockets stood looking at her. His face exhibited no emotion. "'I haven't heard yet why you sent for me,' he said sharply. "'Polly,' she said thickly, "'I want to know what about Polly.' Captain Francis Newcomb smiled without mirth. "'My dear Mrs. Wicks,' he said evenly, "'you know all about Polly. I distinctly remember bringing you the letter she enclosed for you in mine ten years ago, because I distinctly remember that after you had read it I watched you tear it up. And as your education is such that you cannot write in return, I also distinctly remember that you gave me messages for her which I was to incorporate in my own reply. Since then I have not heard from Polly." The woman raised herself suddenly on her elbow, and her face contorted, shook her fist. "'My dear Mrs. Wicks,' she mimicked furiously, through a burst of coughing, "'you're a cool un, you are. That's what you says. You stands there and smiles like a bloomin' angel, and you says, my dear Mrs. Wicks, curse yer, I knows more about yer than yer thinks for. Three years I've watched yer, and if I've kept my tongue to meself, that don't say I don't know what I knows. Indeed, Captain Francis Newcomb shrugged his shoulders. He smiled slightly. Then I should say, if it were true, that it is sometimes dangerous, Mrs. Wicks, to know even a little about some things." The woman rocked in the bed, and hugged her thin bosom against a spasm of coughing that came near to strangulation. "'Bah!' she shouted, when she could get her breath. "'I ain't afraid of yer any more. Damn yer! I'm dying anyhow. It's nothing to you with your smug smile, except you're glad I'll be out of the why. And, and God! It ain't nothing to me either. I'm sick of it all, and I'm glad, I am. But afore I goes, I want to know what about Polly. What did you tyke her away for three years ago? For the price of two quid paid weekly to a certain Mrs. Wicks, who is Polly's mother, said Captain Francis Newcomb composedly, and with which the said Mrs. Wicks has swum in gin ever since. Mrs. Wicks fell back exhausted on her pillow. "'What for?' she whispered in fierce insistence. "'I want to know what for.' "'Well,' said Captain Francis Newcomb, "'even at fifteen Polly was an amazingly pretty little girl, and she showed amazing promise. I'm wondering how she has developed. Extremely clever youngster. Don't see, in fact, Mrs. Wicks, where she got it from.' Not even the local desecration of the King's English, in spite of the board schools. Amazing! We couldn't let a flower like that bloom uncultivated, could we? The woman was up in the bed again. A gutter, brat! she cried out. And you says send her to school with the toffs in America, cause there wouldn't be no chance of doing that ere at home. And I says the toffs don't tyke her kind there neither and you says she goes as your ward, and you can get her in, only she has to forget about these ere London slums. 
and she ain't to write no letters to me except through you cause if any was found down here they'd turn their noses up over there and give polly the bounce quite right mrs wicks said captain francis newcomb imperturbably and for three years polly has been in one of the most exclusive girls seminaries in america and incidentally i might say i am arranging to go over there shortly for a little visit if her photographs are to be relied upon she has more than fulfilled her early promise a very beautiful young woman educated and now mrs wicks a lady she has made a circle of friends among the best and the wealthiest why even now with the summer holidays coming on you know i understand she is to be the guest of a school friend in a millionaire's home think of that mrs wicks what more could any woman ask for her daughter and why should you for instance ask more to-night why this eleventh-hour curiosity you agreed to it all three years ago mrs wicks for two quid a week yes said the woman passionately and i'm probably going to ell for it now i knowed then you wasn't doing this for polly's sake and in the three years i kept on knowing you're more and more for the devil you are but i says to meself that i'm ere to see polly don't come to no harm but but i ain't going to be ere no more and that's what i wants to know to-night and i asks yer what's your game really captain francis newcomb shrugged his shoulders again this isn't very interesting mrs wicks and in any case i fail to see what you are going to do about it or what lever you could possibly bring to bear to make me divulge what you are pleased to imagine is some base and ulterior motive in what i have done it is quite well known among captain newcomb's circle that he is educating a ward in america it is uh, rather to his credit is it not god curse you with your smooth tongue said mrs wicks wildly i knows you're got a game some dirty game with polly in it you're clever you are and you ain't human but you won't win and all along o polly she won't do nothin that ain't straight she won't polly ain't that kind oh as to that and granting my wickedness said captain francis newcomb indifferently i shouldn't worry having you in mind mrs wicks i fancy even that would be quite all right blood always tells you know blood blood'll tell will it the woman was rocking in the bed again she burst into harsh laughter it brought on another and even more severe strangling fit of coughing blood'll tell will it she choked as she gasped for breath well so it will so it will captain francis newcomb stared at her from narrowed eyes what do you mean by that he demanded sharply but mrs wicks had fallen back upon her pillow in utter exhaustion she lay fighting painfully pitifully now for every breath what do you mean by that repeated captain francis newcomb still more sharply and then suddenly as though some strange premonition were at work all fight gone from her the woman threw out her arms in a broken gesture of supplication i'm a wicked woman a bloody wicked un i've been god forgive me for it she whispered polly ain't no blood of mine captain francis newcomb rested his elbows on the back of the chair and smiled coolly 
"'I think,' he said evenly, "'it's my turn now to ask what the game is. "'That's a bit thick, isn't it, after three years?' The hectic spots had faded from the woman's face, and an ominous greyness was taking their place. She was crying now. "'It's God's truth,' she said. "'I was afraid you wouldn't have give me the two quid a week "'if you'd known I hadn't no old on her. "'Polly don't know. "'No one knows but me, and—' "'Her voice trailed off through weakness. "'Captain Francis Newcomb, save that his eyes had narrowed a little more, "'made no movement. "'He watched her without comment as she struggled for her breath again. "'I didn't mean to have no fight with yer. "'God knows I didn't.' God knows I didn't send for you for that. I only wanted to ask you what about Polly, and to ask you to be good to her, and, and tell you what I'm telling you now, afore it's too late. And, and... She raised herself with a sudden convulsive effort to her elbow. God, I, I'm going now. With a swift movement, Captain Francis Newcomb whipped a flask from his pocket and held it to the woman's lips. She swallowed a few drops with difficulty, and lay still. Presently Mrs. Wick's lips moved. Captain Francis Newcomb, close beside the bed now, leaned over her. A lady her mother was, and her father, he was a gentleman born, he was. I, I don't know nothing about him, except she was a governess, and he hadn't much money. Neither of em hadn't no family according to her, and countin' what happened, she told the truth, poor soul. Again Mrs. Wicks lay silent. Her lips continued to move, but they were soundless. She seemed suddenly to become conscious of this, and motioned weakly for the flask, and again with difficulty she swallowed a few drops. Years ago this was. Mrs. Wicks forced the words with long pauses between. Our times came on em. He got killed in a accident, and she took sick after Polly came, and the money went, and she wouldn't have charity, and she got down to this, like usin's ear, trying to keep body and soul together on the bit she had left. And she died, and I took Polly. Two years old Polly was then. There wasn't no good of tellin' Polly and ever give herself airs, when she had to go out and do her bit and earn something. And, what's more, if she'd known I wasn't her mother, she might have stopped working for me, and I couldn't have made her, having lost my hold on her, and I wasn't going to have anything like that. Polly Wicks, the flower girl. Flowers, posies, pretty posies, that's where you saw her. The woman's voice had thickened. Her words, in snatches, were incoherent. Polly Wicks, Polly Wicks, Polly Gray, Polly Gray, her name is Polly Gray. I got the lines and the birth paper. I kept them all these years. Here, I got them here. Where? said Captain Francis Newcomb tersely. Here. Mrs. Wicks plucked feebly at the edge of the bedclothing. Here. Captain Francis Newcomb thrust his hand quickly in under the mattress. After a moment's search, he brought out a soiled envelope. It bore a faded superscription in a scrawling hand. He picked up the candle from the chair and read it. Polly's papers, which is God's truth. 
Mrs. Wicks X her mark. He tore the envelope open rather carefully at the end. It contained two papers that were turned a little yellow with age. Yes, it was quite true. His eyes travelled swiftly over the names. Harold Morton Gray. Elizabeth Pauline Forbes. Pauline Gray. There was a sudden sound from the bed, like a long fluttering sigh. Captain Francis Newcombe swung sharply about. The woman's arm was stretched out toward him. Dulled eyes seemed to be striving desperately in their fading vision to search his face. Polly, Mrs. Wicks whispered, for, for, for Christ's sake, be, be good to Polly, be good to... The outstretched arm fell to the bed-covering, and Mrs. Wicks lay still. Captain Francis Newcomb leaned forward, holding the candle, searching the form on the bed critically with his eyes. After a moment he straightened up. Mrs. Wicks was dead. Captain Francis Newcomb replaced the papers in the envelope, and placed the envelope in his pocket. He set the candle back on the chair, blew it out, and walked across the room to the door. "'Gray, eh?' said Captain Francis Newcomb under his breath, as he closed the door behind him. "'Polly Gray, eh? Well, it doesn't matter, does it? It's just as good an iron in the fire whether it's Wicks or Gray.'" End of Part 1 Chapter 2